You know, when we think about uh, community, and I'm going to ask you if you would turn to Hebrews chapter 6, the next two weeks we're going to be looking at what does it mean to be a community. Remember, we're talking about evangelism, maturity, community, C squared. And today we're going to look at Hebrews and Joshua. God's community is a place of refuge. As I've been processing and seeking the Lord and understanding God's word for us, I hope that you'll connect with two words right now. Last week I talked about the importance of maturity and how we are called to refresh one another. And I I hope that you would recognize that really was a significant concept and word that we want to apply into our lives, refreshing one another. That as you and I are mature believers, we can refresh each other. The second one that is just clear and I feel quite passionate about is we as a community are a refuge. Jesus is our refuge. And I want us to nail down the meaning of that so that we understand how to function as a community. Often church is misunderstood. Uh, There's all kinds of, I guess, ideas of how you do church. I'd like for you and I to understand God is clearly speaking this word to us that we're to focus in on being a community. Now, when we talk about that, there's a word also that comes out that there's a responsibility that goes with that. That we are responsible to each other. We're responsible to those who come into our midst. That when someone comes into the life of our church, there's a sense of responsibility to be a community. We have a responsibility to what's going on. That's why, for example, some of the things we're doing, Naval Avenue Elementary School. Back there you can see the uh, amount of food is slowly growing. We need to keep bringing, because we have a responsibility to help our families in our community. We have redone the drainage uh, uh, system over at the playground so our community children can play. We have you know, cleaned up the school, so there's a sense of, of pride and and education, the environment can continue with the education. We're going to go back again and do more work because we want our community to know that we understand our responsibility as a community. We're not a bunch of individuals that go and hide out in our dwelling places, but that we do come together. And understanding this, I believe, is critical. I would imagine if I talked to any one of you, you would say the words, God has blessed me. Because the fact is, every one of us has probably received some type of blessing. And here's what I see. I hear God speaking to us to return that blessing in equal or greater proportion to what we've received. That we have been given something very special, and we ought to return back to those around us and not hold it. So I want you to understand, when I talk about community, the Scripture tells us that we are a a church family. We have been united together as gathered believers that are local to a geographical region. That's what it means to be a church, is that we kind of all live in the same area, generally speaking. I mean, we have a broad range. People come from north and south, east and west, but we come and gather within this, if you will, peninsula, this geographical area. We, we come together, and we're called to be family-like in our functionality and how we treat one another. Now listen, we are not just a, you know, we're not about being a local business. That's not a church. We are not a spiritual center of well-being. We are not a spiritual retirement center. 
This is not a place to come and coast. We are not a spiritual cruise liner where you get to go on a nice trip and everyone waits on you. If anything, we learned years ago, we are a battleship. Can you say amen to that? And we got lots of guns. We're, we're not called to be a social club or um, you know, a community activity center where we give you lots of things to do. We are a church. And I want you to be able to say that, understand that with a sense of healthy pride, with an idea of what God's doing, with some clarity, that we've been adopted together into this family unit, and we all have a common parent. His name is Jesus. And he has given us a common mission that we function in together with. The good news is, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all together. But we come into this environment to do something that I believe is powerful. There was a, uh, a little boy, about five or six years old, and he went to ask his mom a very important question. He said, Mom, so well, where did you come from? I mean, where did I come from as a baby? I'm not quite sure why, but this particular mom didn't want to go into all the details, and she decided to say, well, let me tell you about a beautiful white feather bird that came out of heaven called a stork that delivered you and me. And the boy was enthralled with the story and listened intently, and then he went into the next room and checked in with his grandma, who happened to be there that day, and said, Grandma, so... Tell me about, uh, you know, where we come from. And for whatever reason, she uh, gave him the same story, a slight variation, and talked about this amazing bird that delivered him and her into the family. Having heard that, he ran out to go play with his friend, and he was heard to say to his buddy, you know what? There hasn't been a normal birth in our family for three generations. There you go, Mother's Day story. All right, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 17. This is a launching pad, and again, I want to encourage you to, to, to follow along with me. This is uh, where we're going to move from. It, it tells us, Hebrews 6 is a very important uh, passage. Uh, the letter to, uh, to the Hebrews is a very significant letter. Sometimes it's challenging, but here in verse 17, it begins by saying, God also bound himself with an oath or a promise, a vow, so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Can you see into that? Just to remember that God, when he gives us what he gives us, he's not going to change his mind. That's critical, at least for me it is. So God has given us both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. I love that. We live in a world where there's a lot of lying going on. I mean, quite frankly, there's a lot of deception. A lot of people say things they don't mean. Isn't it great to know that when God speaks to us, it's clear, straightforward, and it's truth? Yeah, I love this. Therefore, and when you see that, having said all this, here's a bit of a conclusion. We who have fled to him for, what's that word? Refuge. We who have fled to him for refuge can take new courage, for we hold on to his promise with confidence, with strength. We can stand assured that when we come to him, and look at that statement, 
We who fled to him for refuge. I love that statement. That really launches us into where we want to be this morning when we talk about community. Because I do believe that we need to understand we are a place of refuge. And our Lord Jesus is a person of refuge. And understand, when that was said in Hebrews, everyone was thinking Joshua chapter 20. There was an understanding already at this time that God had created cities of refuge. I love, I love the cities of refuge. Six different cities that have been established. We'll talk more about it in a second. But just the whole idea of a city of refuge and what that means. And it was a real place in Israel's history. And in Joshua chapter 20, if you want to turn there and take a look, because we're going to kind of land there in the first nine verses for a little bit, we begin to see the unfolding of this absolutely amazing word picture that not only speaks to Israel, but speaks to us. And I want you to begin to understand that. Now, the idea of a city of refuge, what was that about? Well, back at the time when Joshua was around and, and that there was this uh, development of a city. This was under Moses' instruction given to Joshua. And uh, it was kind of like a, a rough time in, in Israel's history. It was, you and I would think of it as the wild, wild west in terms of justice. You know, when you think of the old westerns and stuff. So, you know, there's a bad guy, just go shoot him kind of a thing. And it was kind of the same idea here. They didn't have a very strong judicial system. They didn't have a real strong form of government. There was a lot of tribal interaction going on. So you had lots of people really spread out, not interacting really well with each other, lots of conflict. And so occasionally bad things happen. What do you do? Well, what was going on was, well, you'd, you'd shoot them. You know, you'd wipe them out, take care of them. But God provided a way for someone to flee to when they were being chased down, which was called in Scripture, the avenger of blood. So here's what I mean. Let's say you're part of a family and someone in your family uh, lost their life. And we're not exactly sure why. It could have been an accident, could have been intentional, could have been unintentional. We don't know the details. We don't know why it happened. All we know is, uh, you know, someone lost their life and we want to get the person who killed our family member. So you would gather together and you would talk and you would appoint someone in the family who was called the uh, Goel Hadam, which is the kin to avenge. And so literally in the Hebrew. So the idea was someone who was within the family unit, or I guess we hear of events where you could hire someone out, that their job was to go after the person who killed your family member. So that was their job. So they would come and say, go get them. Now, the person who had done the killing had a couple options. He could let the avenger of blood get him, or he could run to one of the cities of refuge. And if he ran fast enough and was able to get into the gates of the city of refuge, the avenger of blood couldn't touch him until he had the appropriate trial or something had transpired within the high priest. He ran and was, does that sound like a video game right now? I mean, we could, we could make, oh, we could make a video game. Boy, what a great way. We call it the Avengers of Blood. Okay, I'm just kidding. Just brilliant idea here. Okay, so the idea is that if a crime, see, back then there was no way to kind of tease out what was going on, why did it happen, what took place. So the, these cities were designed, and look what it says in Joshua 20 in the first couple of verses there. So it tells us that 
Um, and here's the Lord saying, designate the cities of refuge as I instructed you through Moses so that anyone who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. Okay, that makes sense? So here we've got this kind of safe place that you could run to in case you're being chased down. And, and God literally, and here was the point, these cities were designed at this time to be very accessible. They were built on hilltops or in high areas, and the roadways had signs on them. This way to the city of refuge. I mean, literally, it was, there were clear directions, and anyone in the area knew that this was in existence. What an amazing word picture. Because isn't that who Jesus is for us? And isn't that what we're called to be as a community? A place where people can come and find refuge? See, I want us to begin to understand not only that Jesus is our refuge, but that we as a community are a place of refuge. And that this is such an important part of what it means and, and who we are within the world we live in. Jesus developed this idea of church and said, when you guys come together, I want you to learn to be a refuge, a support, an encouragement, a place of grace. I mean, think about it. What does it mean to be a church? What do we have to offer the world around us? What, think about it. Help me out. What would be something that you would think that we as a church ought to offer the world around us? Love. Yeah, love. That's important. I heard acceptance. That's important. What else? What? Condolence. Absolutely. Salvation. Yeah, to be an encouragement. Also, conviction. Boundaries. Ways of living. I want you to begin to realize this isn't just about coddling people and bringing them in and saying, they're there, we're just going to baby you through life. But there is a point about bringing people in and bringing the amazing presence of love and we're going to talk about forgiveness and grace as well as hope as well as a new beginning as well as how to live life and here's what's right here's what's wrong here's how you do things according to the word of god these aren't things that we make up but these are things that you and i and you think about it that we have been called to do something that is absolutely critical God said, I want you to develop these things. Put them up high so people can find you and become a destination place. You ever think about, you know, you hear this often when you're traveling. You got to go to a destination place, right? There's, you know, these really cool places, cities, and all these, the idea. Church ought to be a destination place where we're easy to find and people can easily walk in and discover Jesus. You know, because... You think about, you know, tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge as instructed you through Moses. Literally, the Hebrew is saying, I want you to designate these places so they stand out, so that they are easy to find. I mean, you think about it, what does Jesus call the church? What are we called to be? Light and salt. We're called to be a destination place. We're called to be something that, and I think this is where people struggle. You know, what are we about? Who are we to be? And I think part of coming to this place is discovering, you know, God's gift, God's purpose, our identity. 
I think one of the reasons people are lost and not able to find the destination is because they're not sure what they really want. And I see people really struggling. I, I talk to a lot of people who lack clarity, who don't know what their purpose is, don't understand. I mean, you were created for a purpose. You were created for a calling. I mean, what is your vision for your life? I mean, sometimes well, I'll, I'll ask someone, what is God's vision for you in your life? Why did God create you? What was the purpose for you in life? I mean, there must be something more than just going to work and getting a paycheck. There must be something much more than just trying to climb some corporate ladder. There must be something much more than just living for some hobby. But to begin to understand that God divinely created us with purpose. Jesus was asked this a lot. You know, he, part of his time when he was involved in public ministry for a little over three years, they often asked him, so God, what, what is all this about? How are we supposed to live? What's, what's our purpose? And at one point, when Jesus was asked this, this very important question, he, he said, listen, you were created for divine purpose. And you can see here, it says he responded, the most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. I mean, we've heard that. That is a purpose. I mean, think about it. It changes everything when you wake up in the morning and realize, God, I'm created to love you with everything in me. Today is another day I get to love you and serve you and live for you. And I thought it was interesting because of all the things God could have said. He says, and the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I want you to understand something. There is a direct connection between one and two. Because in the same manner we're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, uh, and strength, and soul, he's saying, listen, love your neighbor as yourself. He's connecting those two things. He says, look, give your neighbor everything too. In other words, not just a little bit, but throw yourself in. That's what God was directing when he understood, and he said this. He said, listen, there's no other commandments greater than these two things. Live this way. I got to tell you, we are challenged today as a church, not just us, but across the board. There's so much confusion and misdirection and deception about church and who we are and what we're about that even this idea of love is getting confused. I mean, I, am, I don't know about you, but we've got to be careful about how we even say and use the word love today. I mean, we're, you know, to say, I love you. Man, what does that mean? It's almost a dangerous term. You don't want to, you know, you don't don't want to even look at someone and say that because it could be easily misunderstood or misinterpreted. What does that mean? And I think we have so twisted and, and, and perverted even the concept of love. I mean, we hear all the time, uh, we see it in the movies, we see it in the TV shows, you know, a male, a female, uh, they go into the bedroom and they come back and what'd you do? Well, we made love. No, you didn't. You had sex. Right? But we we, we call it something to somehow distort what's really going on because, and then we start thinking somehow that this is love. That's not love. That is a barrage of chemical cocktails running through your system that God created. And let me tell you, I can get a lot of detail about what's going on within your body, but the fact is all that happens so that amazing things would take place, all designed to happen within a marriage relationship. But 
That's a biological function. That is not making love. Hopefully someday it might be an expression of love. Do you realize our sexuality is a byproduct? It is not the primary focus of a relationship? Too many people place the primary focus of a relationship on sex as opposed to loving someone, caring for them, and then a natural outflow that comes from that is a sexual relationship within the marriage unit. But we don't get love. You know, when God was talking about love here, he was talking about agape. They had five different words at this time, and these words were used in different ways. They, matter of fact, the Greeks understood we need to nail down what we mean when we say love. Here he's talking about agape type love. Not a very well-used word at this time when this was written. I want you to know something. This word has nothing to do with feelings. I love the fact that when Someone says, I agape you, I love you. This isn't, I mean, there are emotions obviously attached to it, but it isn't an emotional connection. It is something that we do that says, when I, when God says, I agape you, when I say to you, I agape you, I'm saying I'm committed to you. I'm committed to be honorable, to live with integrity, to be responsible, to go beyond my feelings, and to live what I know are healthy values. And agape has to do with all of these other things of responsibility and integrity and honor and commitment and nothing to do with sex, nothing to do with feelings or emotions, but it's something that we give beyond our emotions. Because you know what? I know it's kind of crazy, but I don't always feel like I love people. Can you believe that? I mean, you ever feel that way? Like, you know, you're around someone, he's like, well, I mean, yeah, I guess I got to be around you. I don't know if I love you right now, but. <laughs> but we do love them because what we're really saying is, I do love you. I'm committed to you. I care about I just don't feel it right now. But because I don't feel it, it doesn't matter because I'm able to rise above those feelings. And that's what it means to be a community, to love one another, is to rise above those things and begin to bring honor to that. You know, I really believe love demands a mature response. I believe that we're responsible to love maturely. And that's really different. God says that when we come together and we begin to, to live this way, that we also may become a protection to one another. Look what it says in verse 3. So anyone who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. And then jump down to verse 5. If the avenger of blood pursues him, you must not surrender the one accused, right? Because he killed his neighbor unintentionally or without malice or forethought. In other words, here you go. We don't know exactly what happened. The guy's saying, I didn't mean to do it, but we don't really know. I mean, he might have meant to do it. He might be lying, but we don't know. So he runs to this place, and the word says, let him in. Let this be a place of sanctuary. Let it be a place of protection. And we'll figure out what's going on. We'll go ahead and ask the questions and begin to have that discussion, and we'll seek out, and we'll figure out what really took place. But we're not going to be hasty in our actions. We're going to do this the right way. And so the idea and the concept of sanctuary is that's why we call this place a sanctuary. I don't think it means that anymore in the churches across our planet. I think the whole idea, you realize sanctuary is, is a very significant concept. 
It used to be legally you could run into a church and find sanctuary against uh, political issues, uh, even against uh, legal issues. And, and as a matter of fact, it was so significant that as long as you stayed within the four walls of the church facility, no one could touch you. So that's the good side. The downside is you could never leave the four walls of the church. <laughs> Can you imagine living here for the rest of your life? I mean, sanctuary is critical. It brings life. I was thinking of a marine sanctuary. The other day I went out diving at a marine sanctuary. And I don't know if you know this, it's lingcod season right now. And in the marine sanctuary, where all the lingcod have fled, was a lingcod this big. He must have been 20 pounds. He would have been dinner, except for the fact he was within the confines of the marine sanctuary. So I tried to push him out. <laughs> Get him beyond the line. And he's a smart link god. He wouldn't go out beyond the line. He knew that as long as he stayed along this rock wall, he was safe. Because he watched a lot of his other friends get eaten up outside the line there. But that's why he was so big, because he was protected. We have wildlife sanctuaries. That's why we have wildlife still alive, because we provide that. I believe we can have people still alive. If we would provide healthy sanctuary and refuge and be what God's called us to be, because you know what? It's a dangerous world out there. There's a lot going on around us. And there, if you will, may not be someone like a Goel Hadam who's been assigned by a family to chase you down, but you know what? There's an enemy who has a mission to chase you down. He even calls him a roaring lion who's seeking a prey and ready to pounce on you. We live in a world, right now, it's crazy. I talk to people who are afraid to even move outside their homes. I was talking to somebody the other day. We were talking about traveling, and this person said to me, I don't want to travel. Why not? It's too dangerous. I, I don't know that I would be safe on the plane. I wouldn't know I'd be safe in the airport. I'm too scared now to go out and travel. I said, well, don't you trust God? Absolutely, but I, I got, there's this anxiety in me now because of all that's happened. There are people who are afraid to drive their cars on a freeway because of what goes on. I mean, they, they see the, the stories, they hear the events, and all of a sudden what wells up in us is an anxiety and a real fear, and we think, this is a dangerous place. And so God calls us to learn to understand who He is as a refuge, and that you and I help each other understand what it means to be in a safe place. That even though there may be real situations, and I love the fact that Jesus broadens this out, Remember what he said about murder? Murder can be about physically killing someone, but also going to be about what? Hating someone. You realize we can commit crimes emotionally, cognitively. You realize that we commit crimes against one another by how we respond to each other, the way we treat each other. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of criminal activity sometimes that goes on in the life of a church. And, and, and we have to begin to realize that it can feel like there is this avenger chasing us down. And, and what God's called us to be is to be a really a safe place. Now, let's define that. What does it mean to be a safe place? Well, it means a lot. But to kind of get us warmed up, it's, it means that we use a speech and a language that's encouraging, affirming, and hopeful. Here's what I believe, is I can encourage you at the same time tell you what you're doing is wrong. Just because you're doing something wrong doesn't mean I have to beat you up. 
And part of being in the life of a church is that there may be times that we point out things that say, man, this isn't the right way to do it or this isn't the right way to live according to the Word of God. But let me affirm and encourage you that you can do this and be hopeful that life can change. He's a man of that. I love how we can talk to each other, with each other, in a different way. It, it tells us that a safe place means we approach one another with love and acceptance. We talked about love, but what about acceptance? You know what? We can accept people. Doesn't mean we accept their behaviors, but we can accept them. Doesn't mean that we agree with how they're living life, but you know what? There, there's a way that we can do this. There's a lot of behaviors I don't agree with. And, and sometimes it's hard for people to understand I don't agree with your behavior, but man, I, you know what? I care about you as a person. I care about, and I, I believe the church can offer that to people and say, you know what? You were created by God. And we all started in the same place. We all began the same way. And you know what? I really believe and I have hope for what God can do in your life. Doesn't mean that what you're doing is okay, though. So we have to understand what this means. The world would like us to redefine acceptance, to let anything and everything in. That is not a biblical concept. Now, it goes on and says we practice the discipline of forgiveness. We've talked about that. I want, us that, I want that to become us, that we understand the discipline of forgiving, which means we choose to forgive, and we don't, and I'm going to use a, 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 a non-theological term. Forgiveness is not a magical concept. Sometimes, somehow, we think that, well, you need to forgive me and everything's going to be okay. It means that Things are going to change. But we don't know yet what's going to happen because there's a process going on. But the discipline of forgiveness means I recognize I may not forget what you did, but you know what? I'm not going to bring it up again. I, I might remember what you did and the things you said, but because I've forgiven you, I'm disciplining my thoughts, my life, my language to, in such a way that I can be encouraging, affirming, and hopeful. Being a safe place means we love one another with unconditional love and grace. It's a place of grace. And what does it mean? That we worship and pray and minister to and with one another. It's about a cooperative team effort that we work together in this family-like environment and amazing things can take place. That's what it means to be a place of refuge. I love the fact that, and look at verse 4, it says, when he flees to one of these cities, he's to stand at the entrance of the city gate, state his case before the elders of the city, and then they are to admit him into their city and give him a place to live with them. What you may not realize is that all six of these cities, again, were built on hilltops or up high with clear signs showing the way and how to get them. I've listed the six cities that are listed in, in Joshua. These are the six cities of refuge. And I thought about the fact that they're up on a hill, they're up high, easy to find. I thought, Jesus, you said the same thing. We're to be a city, a light on a hilltop. That we're not to cover our light, but to let our light shine. That's exactly what the seas of refuge were about. So that they were easy to find. They, they, they had a sense of light with them. Listen, we're called to be a lighthouse to people. To help them not crash on the rocks, but find their way to safe harbor. That's what God's called us to do. The city, the names I've listed for them, and look at this, the first one, I love it, Kadesh. 
a place of sanctuary, a holy place. I'm running to a holy place. Or I'm going to run to Shechem, a place that literally means in the Hebrew to carry burdens. I'm running to a place where they're going to help me carry burdens. Hebron, a place of companionship, a place of community. Betzer, I love, I love the Hebrew for that. It means to be fortified, to have a fence, a boundary, some protection. Ramoth, a high place, a place of value, literally in the Hebrew, a place that has high value. And then Golan. <laughs> you heard of Golan Heights? Golan Heights literally means joy that's high. Golan means to have or go to the place of joy. You begin to think about all that this means. Think about how God uses these names to give us some understanding. And he says, run to these cities of refuge where you can find a holy place, a place where your burdens are carried, a place of companionship, community that's fortified and protected, that has high value and has joy. Give us a minute of that. Wow. He could have called them a lot of things, but look at the names that they were given and the importance. And Jesus, you know what? God says, go that way. I hear Jesus giving us some understanding that we are to be this for those who would come into our midst. And in fact, if you look at verse 9, our community is available to all people. It says in verse 9, any Israelite, any Israelite, any alien, anyone, I mean, literally, the minute they say that, this is basically code for anyone and everybody can run to these cities of refuge. It says, living among them who have killed someone accidentally could flee to these designated cities and not be killed by the avenger of blood prior to standing trial before the assembly. So they had a chance. There was an opportunity to make it right. I want that to be us. That we are a place that's open to all. I want this place to be a place where sinners can come and hang out. Not to continue in their sin, but to learn about who God is. To realize there's a better way of living. That you and I can bring hope through Jesus Christ to people. And to remember what Jesus did for us. I want you to remember something. This is critical. I was thinking about this. I was going through this. You know, someday I'm going to face judgment, just like you. I'm going to face that throne of judgment where God's going to be the great judge. And you know what? Jesus doesn't just stand next to me. Jesus steps out in front of me. He stands right there for me. And the minute that great judge looks down, he doesn't see me. He sees Jesus. And Jesus steps and says, I have died for Stephen's sins. Put it all on me. And, then, and I can hear the judge go to heaven. Not because of anything I've done. Not because of anything that I've earned. Not because of any clever argument on my part. Not because I've somehow prepared ahead of time all the things I want to say. But for one reason only. There is an advocate standing for me whose name is Jesus. I'll tell you what, when I remember that, and occasionally I think about how blessed that moment's going to be, that's why you and I can have hope. That's why we know that 
our way to heaven. That's why we have confidence in where we're going. Listen, let's, let's, let's wrap this up. Hebrews tells us this confidence, the, the very thing I'm talking about right now, this is all connected, is like a strong, trustworthy anchor for our souls. The very thing I just said is an anchor. Knowing what Jesus has done, knowing the work that's been done, it says it leads us through the curtain of heaven. Literally, that's the image of the Holy of Holies. Remember? That holy place, the Holy of Holies with this curtain that was ripped apart at the crucifixion of Jesus and His resurrection. Literally, the way has been opened into God's inner sanctuary, and Jesus has already gone in there for us. <laughs> Come on, someone's got to say amen to that. That's exciting. The way is open 24-7. You know, we have to occasionally, for security reasons, lock the doors. I mean, you might wake up at 3 in the morning and think, man, I want to go to church and hang out with God here. You're not getting in. <laughs> well, you can get in, but you might be arrested. But you know what? You can get to Jesus anytime. You can get to Him at 3 in the morning. You, you, you can... You know how you ever have those moments when you wake up and you just need someone and, and it's three in the morning and you want to call your friend and you think, I probably were not that good of friends. I can call him at three in the morning. <laughs> I remember the other day I woke Lois up. You know, I said, hey, Lois. And she said, what? I, we need to talk. And she says, go talk to Jesus. <laughs> I have a good wife. Amen. <laughs> Directed me right in the right way. <laughs> Which was the right thing. It was like, I need it. And those are times. And to remember that at any time, any place, anywhere, we have access, that's what the word is saying, to be able to interact with Jesus. And that becomes an anchor, a hope, a security, a strength that we have because Jesus went before us. But here's something I want you to nail down. This is critical. And I want us to clear, clear this up because it requires something from you. Although the way is made, you got to walk in. Although the way is there, look what the psalmist said. When he calls upon me, then I will answer him. When he calls upon me, I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. Okay, what's the condition? When he calls upon me. In other words, when this happens, if this happens, then I'm there. But here's the deal. you got to call upon him. This is something of how you live life. That when you feel like you're being chased down, you call upon God. And the psalmist reminds us he's there. It says in Psalm 62, Pour out your hearts to God, for He is a refuge for us. I thought that was interesting. Because it could have been written, He is a refuge for us, therefore pour out your hearts to God. It was intentionally written this way. I want you to see this. Because in the language that is used here, Hebrew can be a very precise language. And the, the order of a sentence, the structure of a sentence, is, is much more important than what we attain to it in our English language. And there's something here that's being communicated that says, number one, pour out your hearts. Number two, he'll be a refuge for you. Are you getting it? Until you call upon him and pour your heart out, you're not going to have the refuge you want. But if you do call upon him and pour your heart out, he will be there as a refuge. 
But be encouraged that God is present for you. So whatever is chasing you down, you know, I, I don't know what the avenger of death might be for you, but it can be a situation of relationship, it can be economics, it can be work-related, it can be who knows what. I mean, it, there are things that it can feel like something's out to get. It can be a disease. I mean, I, I've talked to people and I've heard them say, it, you know, I, I feel like I'm being chased down by a disease and they're battling it. It can feel that way. But you know what? I said this to someone the other day. With a lot of passion, I said, listen, brother, God is a refuge for you. No matter what the disease might do or not do, God is there for you. Run to Him. Not medicine. I mean, He's getting great care. But I said, you need to run to Jesus. He's your hope. He will bring you peace. He's the one who will make things okay. Run to Him. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus will not disappoint you. So I invite you to pour your heart out to God. I invite you to run to Him. Is something chasing you down? Let's start right now. Let's take a moment to just say, okay, God, I need to talk with you about this. And let's give it to the Lord. Let's let it start. What a great day to do that on, on a day when we think of life and moms and all these encouraging things that we can come right now at this very moment and give it to Jesus.